Welcome to Live from West End. Today I'm joined by Henry Elhoffen, sports copy editor, and Anish Mago, deputy sports editor. Last week we had a really, really fun episode. We had four different special guests, from Henry's father to a friend of mine to Henry and I's you know, acquaintances and friends. And it was really fun to kind of have a different format, talk about Vanderbilt, talk about what that was like, Henry, and, and the reception that you kind of heard about that podcast. Well, it was really, really fun talking to all these different people around the Vanderbilt community. It's interesting to hear from past students, past fans, current students to, to get the feel of what they think of Vanderbilt Athletics right now. And I've heard some really great feedback about the show. People really enjoyed hearing all these different perspectives. Um, yeah, so it was great. Absolutely. And we also talked about the men's basketball team, which has kind of been the elephant in the room on West End. Really, really not so good right now. Five and 13. One of their worst starts in the Jerry Stackhouse era. They, after losing to Presbyterian, it's just all gone downhill and and spiraling, as David Hernandez said in his film room today. But before we go deeper, let, let's bring in Anish. Anish wrote, wrote a very detailed, articulate column on Monday about kind of the demise of the Jerry Stackhouse regime. I don't want to talk too much about it. Just Anish, talk about the methodology and, and how you came to that article. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think Andrew and I went to the Ole Miss game. Um, that was about a week ago. And after the game, we spoke with him. We were the only two reporters there, and I think the one quote that really stuck out to everybody, but especially uh, Andrew and I, was after that type of loss, um, despite the fact that Vanderbilt was significantly better than Ole Miss last season, um, Stackhouse came out and said, you know, no gripes about this one. We're just going to kind of move on to the next one. Um, you know, going on Twitter after that, I think that was something that really stuck out as well. And after that moment, um, I think throughout the week, Andrew and I have kind of been talking about, you know, where is this culture kind of heading uh, in terms of Vanderbilt basketball? I think we see it on Twitter almost every single week. Uh, see it on all platforms from the Vanderbilt community talking about, you know, what is Stackhouse building here and, and kind of is it time for a change? So when I had the opportunity to write Memorial Minutes this week, I think I wanted to take a little bit of a different angle because, frankly, um, you know, the season's not over yet, but um, for all, all intents and purposes, it's, it's kind of over. I mean, they haven't won an SEC game yet, and looking at the uh, schedule for the next month, it's, it doesn't look very likely. Um, but anyways, that's that's an aside. But I think I wanted to kind of take the time to write an article that I thought would express what the Vanderbilt community thinks um, about this current regime. And that's that's kind of what I aim for. I hope that that message was received well. Well, yeah, I absolutely love this uh, this moral minutes you did. Um, I think you bring up a great point. It's year five for Jerry Stackhouse, right? This is year five for him taking this team. He didn't you know, pick up the team in a great spot from Bryce Drew. But uh, honestly, it's inexcusable at this point to to be five and thirteen, um, and zero and five in conference. So I thought you brought up some great points in yep. the uh, column. And one point that really stuck out to me that Anish talked about is, think about the class of twenty twenty five. Not one of his recruits after their freshman year stayed on the team. You think that was like the Shane Dazoni year? They had another. I forgot his name. They had a point guard that left mid season. You uh, think Peyton Daniels? I think Peyton Daniels. Yeah. You think about. Malik Dia, who's killing it on Belmont now, and, and all these guys. I know he was two years younger than the class of 2024. You, you think all these guys leading Vanderbilt, it just shows that wouldn't happen at North Carolina. with yep. you know That wouldn't happen at those titans of industry. So what is happening? And 
Tyron Lawrence stayed short because of a really nice bag from NIL, we can assume. But <laughs> yeah. But but what else, right? So so that's something I think of. I think about the core, right? The core from last year and the year before, Jordan Wright, Scotty Pippen Jr. I know they gave a lot to Vanderbilt, but just seems like this this type of culture is not permanent. And no matter what happens at the end of the season, I don't see Stackhouse staying at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, th- I think the further further we get away from that magical run at the end of last year, and, and it really was, uh, you know, at least one of the best runs in recent memory. It was a fluke, memory. though. It looks more and more like a flash in the pan. Um, you had a bunch of veteran guys stepping up, um, just a pretty solid roster. And then you see the amount of turnover after the season. Um, and, I mean, this has just turned into a complete disaster. And I think one thing I emphasize in the column that I want to bring up now, too, is the Jordan Wright situation. I mean, it really just speaks volumes um, about where this program is. If you go back to Bryce's feature on him last year, um, you know, one of the most respected, decorated Vanderbilt basketball athletes of the last decade, um, the way he went out, you know, just doesn't really reflect well on, on what Stackhouse is building. Um, you know, there was some rumor tension and, and whatever, but I think that a lot of that was overshadowed by how much they were winning. Um, and then you fast forward to this year. I mean, I was watching a game last week, and I think he had 27 points, five five steals against Ole Miss. I think. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Again, it's it's pretty hard to say how much he would improve this year's team, but um, I mean, the fact that he left and, and how he left um, just just doesn't really reflect well. And and I'll give Stackhouse something: the front court for Vanderbilt on roster cannot compete against the SEC. And you have Van Allen, Lubin, Carnler, Lang. After Lee Dort leaves, th- that gives you a disadvantage. But there are certain things like. I think you were talking about it. That there's not a lot of plays being run. It seems like there's kind of a, a lack of synergy on the offense. Can you just talk about what you tried to get out in the article, aside from just everyone leaving and obviously another elf in the room, they haven't made the NCAA tournament under his tenure? Yeah. Um, I think one of the main things I really wanted to harp on was the personnel decisions because I think that has been a flaw of Stackhouse's um, for the entire, the entire tenure. I mean, you can go at any point – um, across his five years, even when they were, you know, they, they've had some respectable wins um, aside from that stretch last year. I remember they beat a ranked LSU team. They won away at Arkansas, but, you know, those have kind of been just more single moments. But a really pervasive theme of the entire tenure has been these horrible personnel decisions. Um, I think one that I wrote at the end that really stuck out to me was the just, I mean, the whole situation with Jason Rivera-Torres is just, it's really mind-boggling. Oh, I it mean, really is, yeah. He is arguably the second, third, fourth best player on the team this year. And he hadn't started a game before the game against Mississippi State. And the other two who hadn't started were both walk-ons. I mean, it makes no sense. Stackhouse is going to give all these guys the ability to start, you know, going to have so much fluctuation, so much flexibility with his rotations, but he's not going to give his second or third or fourth best player the opportunity to start. I mean, it's it's really, at this point, I, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I mean, if I can jump in here, like, Every article we publish at, at the Hustler here, I feel like every article I'm reading, this is a new different starting lineup for Jerry Stackhouse each new game. And at this point in the season, I'm all for that, you know, trying that in the first couple non-conference games. But in the heart of SEC play, you cannot be, you know, starting different lineups each time. You need to have some sort of offensive and defensive rhythm. Um, and it's honestly terrible that Jason Rivera-Torres isn't starting. I think, you know, you've got Tyron Lawrence, you've got Ezra Manion, who've kind of stayed in the lineup. But you know, Stackhouse needs to decide if he's going to you know, start playing his veteran players or just new players because we've seen him start some freshmen in the last few games. You know, J.Q. Roberts, Malik Presley. Um, but, yeah, the, the lineup stability needs to be there. If it's not going to be there, then they're not going to find any offensive rhythm, I'd say. Yeah, and despite Colin Smith leaving 
I think it was in December, being out for the year. Vanderbilt, I think since the beginning of the year, correct me if I'm wrong, Anish has have 12 different starting lineup variations. Yep, 12 total. That, I mean, that sounds like the New York absurd. Jets offensive line because everyone's <laughs> injured. But the thing is, Vanderbilt's had one injury. Right. I mean, yeah, there's just no continuity at all. I think, you know, one thing I wanted, I, I did mention in the, article, which I think is, you know, when you think about Stackhouse and, and what his rationale behind it is, you know, there have been a lot of injuries and there have been a lot of departures that have been major. Um, but then when you're thinking about the things that he can control and what he can't control is who is he bringing in to replace these guys? Who is he bringing in over the offseason when he's scouting, recruiting? The two big ones coming into the season were Evan Taylor and Tassos Camateros, apart from Van Allen Lubin. So you can really say three. Van Allen Lubin has been great. He's been one of Vanderbilt's most productive players. The other two have pretty much deservedly fallen out of the starting lineup, are both fighting for minutes at this point, and really have not been able to make any type of contribution uh, to Vanderbilt basketball, at least thus far. I mean, they're great players, both their mid-major levels, um, but Stackhouse went after them, recruited them, and they've fallen completely flat, and what that's resulted in is an even weaker front court than already existed. Yeah, and I mean, I think the two transfers you mentioned, Evan Taylor and, and uh and uh, Tassos Kamateros, it's it's like they're predictable at this point, right? Yeah. They're not really going to make that big of an impact in the paint. Both of them can splash some threes every once in a while, but that's just going to make teams guard them on the on the three-point line closer. They're not they're not so much as, I know in non-conference they might have been more of a mystery coming from these mid-major schools, but now these defenses on other teams, they, they know like the MO of these players. They know what they're going to do and what they can do on the court. Yeah, right? no, Absolutely. You bring in Evan Taylor to replace a Miles Studi type of guy, an absolute 3 and D, but Evan Taylor's play has been directly correlated with Vanderbilt's play from the three-point line, 13th best in the SEC. Evan Taylor hasn't even been a weapon on the three because when he's wide open, he, he isn't necessarily making it. Yep. And Tassos, he's kind of like what this Vanderbilt, he's an epitome of this Vanderbilt team. And there's no physicality. It's kind of like a little flamboyant the way he plays, and it just seems that he, he kind of, he, he isn't, he isn't a, a big man that should be competing in the SEC. I mean, if he was a little slimmer and a little bit taller, he could bring a little bit more. But Tassos is not a starting player in yeah. an SEC team. Yeah, definitely I mean, not. that's the bottom line. And just to kind of back up that Evan Taylor stat, I mean, he's shooting 29.1% from three um, after being recruited as a shooter. Um, and one thing I didn't mention in the column, again, not to rag on Taylor too much, but he's just kind of the one that we're talking about at this point. Um, not to rag on Taylor too much, but... When I was going through those lineup combinations, I had a little spreadsheet um, as I was writing the article. And what stuck out to me was I think the only player to start the first 10 or 11 games, again, I can fact check this after, um, was Evan Taylor, despite the fact that he was struggling so much, despite the fact oh, that— Because Ezra had had an injury. Yeah, because Ezra had an injury yeah. and Colin Smith went in and out. But the only one was Evan Taylor, um, which I just found shocking and didn't really make a lot of sense, especially considering how much depth— um, they supposedly have it that kind of two or three spot. Play, play JRT. This is my issue with Stackhouse. He's like, oh, we like getting points off the bench. Why do you care about the box score? You should be <laughs> playing your five best players in the starting lineup. Like, even the Knicks, when they had J.R. Smith come off the sixth man, he, he was good, but he was their sixth best player. It's not right. like, oh, let's put LeBron at sixth man because <laughs> it it gives uh, it elevates our stats from the bench. It's not It's not a way to be playing college basketball. Yeah, and also, I mean, if you kind of just think about the mentality that goes into that, it's almost like we're going to be playing from behind, so we're probably going to need some scoring. Uh, That's true, yeah. Um, it just doesn't bode well. The whole mixture of, of personnel, of rotations, of what he's saying after games, um, I think, at least in my mind, it, it, it's mixed to a pretty poor culture that he's created. Um, and that was my main, my main motivation for writing that call. Yeah, and I think this team has been very mismanaged all season. 
the lack of timeouts, which I just I can't even get started on because it seems like Stackhouse won't ever take one. Memphis right? game. But yeah, he won't ever take a timeout, which is weird. But uh, and then the the different starting lineups, the the lack of play for JRT, it just seems like to me it's just mismanaged. Jerry Stackhouse is not the fit for Vanderbilt anymore, um, and I think the players know that, and I think they're they're starting to kind of give up on him. Absolutely. Do you all see any any reality where Candace Story Lee says, I'm going to wait this this out one more year? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is a plausible case where, you know, Stackhouse can come to Candace and say, hey, um, you know, we had a lot of absences this year, a lot of change, a lot of turnover, uh, missing some guys that were key to us in preseason. Give me one more year to write the ship. I almost made the NCAA tournament, and maybe Candace does give him that year, but um, I mean, at this rate, I don't know what transfers are coming in, what recruits are going to come in and really change the, the ethos of this program, um, at least under Stackhouse. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I could see Candice Lee giving him another year. That sort of seems like the Vanderbilt standard now. I know after the rough football season, Clark Lee is obviously staying as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it could potentially happen. I wouldn't say it's a smart move by Candice Lee to keep him for another year, but it definitely could could be the case. I also think football and basketball are so different because – Football is more than just like a few players away. They're a culture away, a few seasons away. Football, you really need every single part, special teams, offense, and defense being yeah. being stronger. I think about Clark Lee's defense. He wasn't running the defense. It was Nick Howell. Like, this is Jerry Stackhouse's offense and defense, and basketball falls on the coach. Look at the Milwaukee Bucks. They were second in the East, and they fired their coach because they weren't playing the type of defense they wanted to yeah. with, with, with uh, Holiday leaving to Boston. Like, when those type of things happen, it just shows the standard that's set. For me, the message that would be shown if Candace d- decides to keep stack, it's like, we're content with not making the NCAA tournament for five consecutive years. Yeah. Um, 37 seasons was the last time that Vanderbilt had missed it for seven in a row. And, I mean, at this point, it's almost a guarantee that we're going to break that record. So, Not much to be said about basketball at this point, men's basketball. Let's transition is. to women's, <laughs> yeah, though. Honest, again, I, I encourage you all to to read his column because it really lets you understand what's happening in the past five years and specifically what's been going on in West End about Stackhouse. And you don't need to watch the games to understand what's happening when you read this article. So really, really well done. Women's team, I would say it's the complete opposite. Shay Ralph in her third year really hitting her stride. The Commodores lost to Tennessee on Sunday, though, in in a way that, you know, it's not their fault. Sasha Washington's a 6'2 center going against a Tennessee player that's 6'6", really, really physical. Kind of get got pushed all game. They got a lot of points in the paint, and the Commodores are a little undersized. But what we can guarantee is that Shea Ralph is building a titan on West End, and they brought in Michaela Blakes on Monday. It's not official until April, technically, but she's the number 10 player in high school from Rutgers Prep, and she's going to be replacing Jordan Cambridge. So... So she'll be a, a name to know in the next few years to come. For sure. I mean, bringing in Michaela Blakes is huge for the Vanderbilt program. I mean, it just shows that what winning does for you, right? It opens up new recruits for, for Shea Ralph, and um, she'll be huge for the backcourt next next season when she, she arrives on West End. Yep, I definitely agree um, with everything you guys said. I also think it's worth noting that this is probably something um, that's here to stay, as in I think Ralph is going to keep bringing in these recruits specifically at the guard position, too, because I think if you look at her track record of developing guards like Cambridge um, or like Ayanna Moore, who's having a great season, um, I think more and more recruits, especially at the guard position, will be attracted to come to Vanderbilt. Um, and, you know, it's it's all kind of snowballing into something that's great. Um, great recruits, a great culture, and really just a great leader that's that's heading it. 
I have a quick caveat to talk about culture Anish. Shay Ralph before the season this summer, Shay Ralph came to spoke to a business class and I was in the class on Monday and she said that in August she gets the entire team because they're all there in the summer, July and August, and they got the entire team to come to her house. They all grilled and then they also have time to like play and hang out. And then there's a culture when there's away games, they're all playing cards and they're in the hotel room hanging out without the coach telling them to do so. And this is really good for team camaraderie. I haven't heard one thing about Jerry Stackhouse inviting his players to, to no. dinners, inviting them to his house, <laughs> inviting them to play golf, inviting them outside of the basketball team. And I've talked to current and former players about this. I'm not just I'm not just getting this and, and saying this out of my rear end. There there's an aspect where when, when Shay Ralph opens herself up, says, We are a family, we're a home away from home. Have a dinner with me in August and July and, and come hang out without being forced. It just shows that like I take myself seriously. I take life seriously, but it's also about fun and relationships. And it looks like they're having fun out there. Like yeah. the yeah. MO is so different than the men's team. No, it really is. I mean, there's just, I mean, as you said, there's identity on this women's team, right? Yeah, totally. I know they've lost two of their last three, which is tough. Um, against Tennessee, they were just outsized, which might be a, a, you know, a problem going into further into SEC plays play, playing, you know, South Carolina and LSU. But they have an identity. They know what they're doing on offense. They they run plays. They run sets. They they get back on defense. Everyone's trying, you know, trying their best to to you know, win games. And I, I think that's even showed through like Bella Chance, right? She's not really playing that much, but she provides a spark off the bench. She loves this team, and she's gonna give it her all when she, for the for the minutes she's out there. Yep, I think she's a great uh, embodiment of that Ralph culture. And I think along with the fact you know they go out there and they have fun. Um, is the fact that they play super, super hard for their coach, and you cannot say that about the men's program. I mean, you'd look at the first two SEC games of the season, um, Mississippi State and Florida, both close victories, both down to the wire. Um, and both times, uh, the Commodores came out on top because they played really well down the stretch, and they played really hard, especially in that Florida game. Um, I was there, and I remember how many shots they were missing in the first quarter, how many turnovers they committed. And besides besides that fact, they kept their heads up, and they kept playing super hard. And... Um, Sitting at, I think it's 0-5 in the SEC for the men's team, you can't can't really make that same statement. And when you're the assistant for Gene Ariema for 14-plus years, it just shows how to be a winning culture. Jerry Stackhouse was Coach K's assistant for 15-plus years. Mm-hmm. This would be a whole different Manderville team. So yep. I think so much changes when you have a really good coach. And I know it's really early to say it, but don't be surprised in 5-10 years, Shea Ralph's program is like the new type of Vandy boys. They have a new identity, and people know them across the country. So... It's really, really been fun to watch. They're going to be playing South Carolina on Sunday. South Carolina won the, or no, they didn't win the national championship. I think LSU they did won, last yeah, year. Lost Two LSU. years ago, they won. They, they, they are a titan in the industry. They're number one. Commodores will likely lose by a lot, but it's going to be a really good test for, for a team that's just way, way bigger than they are. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the, the South Carolina stats, right? They have five players averaging double-digit points, I mean, that's, which is that's just nuts. insane. Right. And they're beating teams by a huge margin. I think it was like Kentucky a couple weeks ago. They beat them by like like 40 or something, like crazy and like the that. And Com- the Commodores beat them by, I think, 10 plus. I think yeah, Adam yeah. Had but it's 30 plus points, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a tough game for them. I think, honestly, if they can keep this one close, that I'd count that as a win. South Carolina is so strong. They're 17-0, first in the SEC. Um, and they just have so many weapons on offense and defense. Yeah, so. definitely the runaway favorites um, to win the national championship. South Carolina are, but I think just generally it, it's a good type of test for this team. Um, you know, maybe not even as much on the court, but just mentality-wise, um, because 
it could get out of hand early, but you know, going forward from this game, there's a lot of a lot of winnable SEC games on the schedule, and there's a very clear path to this team making not even the, just the tournament, making the tournament as a very high seed. So, you know, it, it might be tough on Sunday, but I do think it's a good test. And, and you know, the Vanderbilt's still a very talented team, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're able to keep it close and, and you know, maybe even get an upset victory. And to make the SEC tournament, you, it's not like all 14 teams and women's make it. I believe it's 12 and the 11 and 12 play a play-in. I think the Commodores will, will be past that. They'll be top 10 easily. Yeah, for sure. And then yeah. NCAA tournament, the way it works is it's kind of like regionals, I'm pretty sure, the first two rounds. So they'll play at... A, a say a host site of whoever like the top 15 or 16 team is don't be surprised if the commerce have a late push like honors was saying it's been really really fun to cover and you just you really hope that the students start caring more because they can't be doing anything else better i just wish the students were going to more women's basketball games yeah we got to sure. change that culture yeah. i think that i mean it's gonna happen as they win more games as they have more home games i think you know the students will show up um we've even seen i mean you know, probably an increase um, since they started, you know, winning yeah. games um, in the SEC. So it, I think it'll happen as we win more. I, I do think that the students could do a better job, um, us included. Um, but I would also say that I think, aside from the students, I think the Vanderbilt community generally has rallied around them very well. Um, and That's I true. Hope that, I hope that continues because Ralph and her team really deserve it. Absolutely. Let's transition to Vanderbilt hot takes. Anyone want to kick this off? I can kick it off. I have one. Um, it's very specific, um, so yeah, I'll go. I'll go first. But um, for those of you listening that don't know, Nick Dunlap, he's a sophomore at Alabama. Uh-huh. Um, he's a, he's a golfer, and he just played on the PGA Tour this past weekend at the American Express. And what was crazy is he won the tournament on the PGA Tour, first amateur to do so since 1991. Super impressive. Loved watching it. It was great to see for amateur golf on the biggest stage. Um, and today he just announced he's going to be turning pro starting this week. And I think this will have some impact on Gordon Sargent, um, who obviously has a PGA Tour card locked up for next season if he wants it. Um, I think now that Nick Dunlap's gone pro, I think Gordon Sargent will for sure go pro after the season, not stay for a senior season. And I think this will uh, this will be the last semester of Gordon Sargent. Do they know each other? Do they play? I'm sure they play each other on amateur circuits, like kind of yeah. like a Justin Thomas um Jordan Spieth. Yeah, I mean, they're both from Birmingham. They grew oh, up wow. playing golf together. Wow. Um, they've always been like, I'm not going to say rivals, but competitors, I guess. Um, they played each other at the USAM. They both played each other in the round of 64, and Nick Dunlap won. I think one up on the last hole. So I think this is definitely going to put some pressure on Gordon to go pro after this season. That's my hot take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll do mine. Mine is, uh... oh, okay. Mine is about Vanderbilt women's basketball. I see the Commodores making it back into the AP Top 25 by the end of the year. Oh, and, I like and, and I know they're like 40th right now, and they have a really tough schedule coming up, but I know they're going to probably lose to South Carolina and the other really solid teams in the SEC, but don't be surprised if they win most of their games going in and end and the season hot. Going into the SEC tournament, say make the semis, and potentially host uh, a regional at, uh, in the tournament. That yeah, would be huge. I think that's a great call because uh, it's it's weird to think about be, given how the last couple of seasons have gone, but Vanderbilt women's basketball is genuinely one of the best teams in the conference. So I don't think that's a pr- surprise. Uh, my hot take is a football one, um, and it's that I think Nate Johnson is going to win the starting job. I uh, love that. Wow. Diego okay, Bar- yes. Yeah. We had discussion of this last week on the pod. 
It's very torn. I've, I've heard a lot of different things. I've heard Diego Pavia maybe starting, and I've heard yeah. Nate Johnson. I think um, if you look at it holistically, um, I do think it's pretty hard to say that Pavia is not the favorite. I mean, you just think about Tim Beck. You think about Jerry Kill. You think about the fact that he was the Offensive Player of the Year last year under those two in their conference, uh, which believe Conference USA. Um, I think a lot of things line up well for him being the starter. Um, but I do think that Nate Johnson will win it ultimately. Um, and I think that's because um, he is very talented um, physically. And I think he's more physically talented than uh, Pavi is as a thrower, even though you know he's a bit less developed. But I do think a season um, under you know more tutelage, uh, Clark Lee, more attention than he was getting at Utah, will really benefit him. And I, I think he does win the starting job over Pavia, even though Pavia does have, I guess you could say, the upper hand of, of more familiarity. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I wouldn't say like PTSD, but I do think Clark Lee goes back to the years when he had seals over Mike Wright, and Mike Wright just brought so much more to the table being a dual-threat quarterback. Yep. And that's exactly what Nate Johnson brings you. You talked about that in your film room. Yeah. The ability to run at any point and having that with an SEC offense that, I'm sorry, we're not going to say that the Vanderbilt's going to have a miraculously great running game next year because Ch- Chase Gillespie ends up changing, you know, the... Yeah. the and a, ends up changing the trend, and, and th- that's where I see. I see Nate Johnson just bringing more to the table, even though Pavia has the same offensive guys with Jerry Kill and, and, and Tim yeah. Beck. And yeah. I think one thing it reminded me of especially um, is when we're talking about, you know, Mike Wright, having those discussions about Mike Wright versus Ken Seals, um, is that when you have a rushing quarterback at the same level as a Nate Johnson, as a Mike Wright, um, it really raises the floor uh, of your offense, and especially when you're thinking about the fact that Vanderbilt – is likely going to be um, less talented than a lot of the SEC teams that they come up against. Um, that, that's just a great floor raiser. But I will say, in Pavia's defense, I mean, he rushed for almost a thousand yards last year as a starter, so that's true. He's also a very yeah. good dual threat option. Um, but so I, I do think it'll be a very close uh, QB battle. But my hot I, take is that Nate Johnson. I do think it will be a battle, though. Yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. is great. Which is honestly great because when you have a program like Vanderbilt um, that's been struggling, you need competition. You need guys who are playing at their best and pushing each other. And I, th- I think it means a lot for the rest of the guys seeing that no spot really is locked up. Yeah, and I think that, you know, with Vanderbilt's limited O-line, which we saw last year, maybe it'll get a little better this year with transfers. I know they, like, offered a Northwestern guy today. They've got the Mississippi State transfer O-lineman. Um, but you need a dual-threat quarterback at Vanderbilt, basically. I think that's yep. what we've learned. And it, it's just they have to have the ability to run outside the pocket, gain positive yards when, you know, the pocket collapses on them. And I think... Honestly, Diego Pavia and Nate Johnson both can do that. Um, one little side note here. I think it's interesting how we've basically taken over New Mexico State's team. It's crazy. I mean, we've got, yeah, like, all their coaches. Like, we got their running their back coach, their, <laughs> their former head coach, their offensive coordinator. And you know what's what's funny? Nick Howell, the former defensive coordinator, now is at New Mexico. We're, oh. just, we're just, like, trading. Not New we're Mexico just State, trading New players Mexico. and coaches. Oh, okay. We're just going to switch teams with them, yeah. basically, wow. um, see what happens. But I thought that was funny. Totally. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about anything but Vandy, though. You have any ones? Yeah, I've got one. Um, I want to talk about the snow that we've had this past week. It's all melted now. But last week when we had probably seven, eight inches of snow, for the first day it was, like, really fun. And I was like, this is great. And then by day three I was like, I'm so done with this. I want it to melt. Like, I'm just so tired of the snow. Yep. Uh I do love snow coming from the Northeast, um, but I can definitely attest to that fact because I live off campus about a mile away, um, and that walk from campus to uh, my house was absolutely treacherous for about a week <laughs> yeah. and a half. I mean, 
all ice and I'm just like fighting for my life out there. So yeah, definitely agree with that. Yeah, too. no, I probably ate it like on the ice at least five times <laughs> during the week. I just, you know, fell and I, you just have to own it at that point. Yep. You, you fall, you just got to be like, yeah, that just happened. But Dude, yeah. Nashville doesn't have the infrastructure that a place like New Jersey does where, you know, you, you'll have the people salting the, the streets right when it's snowing. It felt like they were just waiting for it to defreeze and that didn't happen because it was freezing every yep. day. And if you were going on the side roads, it would feel like you were going ice skating. Yeah, Andrew and I had a moment too. Yeah, picking up uh, Deputy Sports Editor Sam. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we we went skating in the car for a little bit there. So so definitely a little bit scary crazy. When, when it when it snows a lot in Nashville. I'd say. Glad glad it's uh you know gone away. Now it's raining though, but better than the ice. Better than the there. ice and snow, I'd say. Rather have that. My anything but Vandy just has to do with the NFL playoffs. I see the Lions taking beating the Niners. The wow. Niners looked very much like frauds against the Packers. Packers had the game to win, but Jordan Love wanted to take a launch at the end of the game and threw across his body. Obviously, it's an interception. Brock Purdy, I know he gets paid $170,000 a year, way less than Arch Manning, and he has a chip on his shoulder because the average quarterback's getting $40 million a year. Yep. But I do I do see this Lions defense with playing with nothing to lose. And I know it's an upset, but I see the Lions winning, Ravens winning, Ravens beating the Lions in the Super Bowl. Yep, really. I, I, li- I like it, honestly, because the Niners did look very vulnerable last week, so... I think that's a good take. Uh, my anything but Vandy, um, we actually brought it up a little bit earlier, but I think the Bucks are really, really going to regret hiring Doc Rivers <laughs> to place Griffins. Um, as a Sixers fan, I've seen too much of Doc Rivers already in the past couple of years, um, and I don't have a lot of faith that he can get it done in the playoffs. Um, I don't have a lot of faith that when the Bucks inevitably meet the Celtics um, in probably the Eastern Conference Finals, that he's going to get it done in what will be a six or seven game series because his uh his record says his track record says he won't get it done. So that's what okay. I that's fine to think of Andy Take. That's fair. I mean I, I'm not a huge NBA guy, but I yeah. did see Scotty Pippen Jr. drop like fifteen points for the Grizzlies yeah. last night. Yeah. And that was so exciting. I was like, that's awesome for him. <laughs> yeah, Scotty's on a two way because all the Grizzlies starters are out except Jaron Jackson. Uh talking about the Doc Rivers signing, you know, for me it just shows uh, there must be something internally to fire Griffin. Absolutely. Because they were second in the in the league, you know. Maybe yeah. I know their defense isn't great. Doc Rivers, I will guarantee he brings fundamentals back to the team. Aside from that year, he won the championship with the Celtics. He's always snake bit in the playoffs, and yeah, I, I know the Bucks got over the hump that one year against the Suns. But is he really the guy you could have gone for? Yep, no, I, I totally agree. And one thing I found interesting too is, you know, when you think about reasons why why could he get fired, I think the number one that comes up is you know the players maybe don't like him, and specifically you're thinking about Giannis, and you know does Giannis like him? Giannis loves him. Giannis loves him. Giannis said, yeah. you know, he came to my my wedding. He's a guy I really respect. So it definitely brings up some questions about the Bucks organization. But I mean, we'll find out pretty soon uh, in June whether uh, whether this was the right call or not. Cool. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Honest. Thanks for coming by to speak about your absolutely. column and. Give us insight on NFL playoffs and and the football team. Hopefully the Commodores can make it to their first bowl appearance since 2018 when they lost to Baylor in the Texas Bowl. Thank you all so much.